Pastor Jeff puts his Bible down on the stand like this. But I am Pastor Dave. I want you to know how you can tell us apart. He's grayer than I am. <laughs> he talks louder than I do. And uh, he only wears a tie on Easter Sunday. So <laughs> you can tell the difference. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, it's so good to be gathered by your Holy Spirit to hear your word. Your word is alive and active, mightier than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing center of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As you allow me to preach it this morning, Lord, may your strength be made perfect in, weak in my weakness. For, Father, without you, I can do nothing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, in my Redeemer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Title of my sermon this morning is, Dad, This is Our Day. I want to begin by wishing a happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers, surrogate fathers, foster fathers, stepfathers, father figures, grandfathers, and those of you who will be fathers in the future. When Jesus asks his follower, when Jesus' followers ask him how to pray, in Matthew 6, he said this, pray like this. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It was the first time in his ministry and the first time his disciples had been introduced to the almighty everlasting God as their father. They had seen him as the God of the Old Testament, a God of justice and power and strength, but never envisioned him as a loving father. Paul says this to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. The Aramaic term Abba, for father, conveys a sense of intimacy, like the English terms daddy or papa. It connotes tenderness, dependence, and a relationship free from fear and anxiety. It is only used twice in the scripture, here and when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he prayed, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. Paul tells us about a father who has begotten children and a father to whom his son could go to in his hour of greatest need. The concept of father or mother is not a term that some person invented. The titles of father and mother came from the heart of a loving father who gave his first two children, Adam and Eve, the power to create a child. So when we talk about dads and fathers today, we have to realize that we have been given both a title and an occupation. With the title goes 
authority and with the occupation goes responsibility. In the prayer that Jesus taught his uh, disciples to pray, he listed three things. For us, he said, we could ask for this. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus added some application to that in Matthew when he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. We learn from that <clears throat> that the term Father is not just a title, but an occupation. When God uh, relates to us as Father, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one and one and three, and yet we relate to them in different ways, and God relates to us in two specific ways. He is our protector, and he is our provider. And he said to Abraham in Genesis 15, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. We had nothing to say about being born men. That was God's decision all the way. But all of us had a choice to become a father. There are different stages of being a father, but you will always be a dad. You will be a father the rest of your life. Our five children are currently between the ages of 48 and 58 and regularly call for advice and encouragement. And Carol and I pray for all 27 members of our immediate family every day. When we brought our first child, Dave, home from the hospital, we were living in a small apartment in St. Paul, Minnesota. We were 22 years old at the time. And uh, opened the door and we walked, stood in the living room. Carol was holding the baby in her arms and I looked at her and I said, what do we do now? <laughs> That's where I was. My father <clears throat> was in the Navy during World War II and was absent from my life for the, most of the first four or five of my years. He modeled work life for me and was a Christian dad, but he had trouble bonding with me. I felt that he loved me, but he never told me that he loved me a single day during his entire life. And you know, even at age 58, I tell our oldest children and all of our children that I love them. I want them to know that I love them, Dad, and that's something we need to do. I felt that he loved me, but he just never told me. Carol had a wonderful dad that modeled love for his children, and she taught me more about being a father than anyone else. The first time Dave had a dirty diaper, she said to me, come over here. You helped create this child, and you're going to learn how to take care of him. And in those days, we didn't have pampers, okay? We had cloth diapers, and we had diaper pins. They were about this long. And you had to put your finger against his little skin so when you stuck that pin in, you didn't stick the pin in the baby, that you stuck it in the diaper. <clears throat> I wanted to be a caring dad, but didn't have a clue. This is how you hold a baby, she said. Always support his head. And she laid him in my arms. I told you that my dad was in the Navy in World War II. Shortly after Dave was born, 
we decided to go over. We went over to my parents' house. We were anxious for them to see their new grandson. And uh, as we stood in the living room, I picked Dave out of my wife's arms, and I started walking toward my dad, and my mother jumped up in her chair and said, what are you doing? And I said, I want my grandfather to hold his grandson. And she said, he doesn't know how to hold a baby. I said, well, he's going to have to learn. I stepped over, and I laid him down in my dad's arms. He had this deer-in-the-headlights look on his face. This was a new experience for him. But you should have seen the joyful smile he had when Dave nestled in his arms. My mother raised us. Uh, my dad got home uh, just enough during the war to have two more children. So my brother and sister and I are three years apart, a year apart, the three of us. And uh, my mother raised us in a cold water flat while he was gone. Yeah, most of you don't know what a cold water flat is. It was a second-story apartment, and there was no hot water. There was no refrigerator. We had an ice box. Uh, and uh, here is a picture that is 75 years old. What I am sitting in was our swimming pool in summer, our bathtub at night, and it was the wash machine. And... Uh, my brother in Phoenix, Arizona, who was kneeling on the grass, he's watching today because I told him he was going to appear in the sermon, but I didn't tell him how he was going to appear in the sermon. So he's going to be quite surprised. They tell us that it takes about six months for a child to bond with his father. And that means that dads have to hold their babies a lot. And early, it goes with the occupation. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but raise them in the nurture and admonition of God. The word exasperate uh, is defined uh, in the Amplified Bible like this. Now, Pastor Jeff is in the Dominican Republic, so he can't give me a hard time today. When I quote from the Amplified Bible, he says to me, you're using the woman's Bible because that Bible has a lot more words in it. <laughs> but this is what it says when it talks about exasperate. It says this. Do not provoke your children to anger to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, not showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. You'll remember that Isaac favored his son Esau and his wife favored uh, Jacob. And uh, the result of that brought deception and indifference and pain into their family. Jacob favored his son Joseph. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph was the second youngest. And he made Joseph a coat of many colors. And his brothers got so jealous that they sold him into slavery, and it broke their father's hearts. I have talked to many dads and moms over the years who have been wounded by their fathers and mothers. There are 24 million children in our country today that live in homes without dads. That's 27.6% of the families in our country. The greatest cause of that is divorce. Some of you dads are still carrying pain of rejection and abandonment in your hearts from your youth. 
raised, and, uh, but you made a choice that you were going to raise your children different than you were raised. And I commend you for that. Other wounds have been caused by things like physical and verbal abuse, the use of drugs and alcohol in a household. Jesus has an answer for those wounds. I've talked to a number, talked at a number of men's conferences about what's known as the father wound. And when I am done, men inundate me, wanting to tell me about how they have been wounded and hurt by their fathers. The result for some of them was that they made the same mistakes that their fathers and their dads made. The answer that Jesus holds out to us for the removal of that emotional pain in wounded fathers is the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive them from our hearts. It involves two things. We collect emotional pain in three ways. When we're hurt by others, by our own sin, and by the work of the enemy. And when that happens, we put up a wall inside and we hide our heart behind that wall and we don't want to bring it out. And uh, there is only one cure. The world has lots of answers for that. Drugs, alcohol, money, sex, none of which ever work. To forgive someone who has hurt us, we have to do two things. We have to say to the Lord, I will release my dad to you. I will release my mom to you. Meaning that I will no longer blame them for what they did to me. You see, and you don't have to agree with what they did. That's not the point. The idea is to no longer blame them. When we blame someone who has hurt us, we can justify our own misdeeds by saying, if they hadn't done that to me, I wouldn't be like this today. And the second thing we have to do is to be willing to pay for that emotional pain. You know, the people that hurt us, our fathers can't pay for that pain. When we become a Christian, Jesus forgives our sin and he removes the death penalty in our lives. But pain we have accumulated doesn't get removed. And the reason it doesn't is because God has given us a specific way to do that. And that is through forgiveness. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He paid for the pain and the guilt of, and shame of our sins. And when we ask for forgiveness, he takes that pain out of our hearts. Paul says this about forgiveness in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ God forgave you. We don't forgive a person who has hurt us for their benefit. We forgive them for our benefit. That was the uh, case with Daryl Strawberry. Uh, this is a picture of Daryl Strawberry up on the screen. Daryl Strawberry uh, came to Highland about three years ago. He talked at a uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, dinner to give us his testimony. Daryl uh, was a, uh, an eight-time baseball all-star. He played for the Mets and he played for the New York Yankees. He was a two-time silver hitter. But Daryl lived in a house with an absentee father. His father was rarely home. And when he came home, the reason he came home, Daryl said, was to ask my mother for money. And uh, when he came home, this is what he said to his sons. You're worthless. You're no good. You're bums. You're never going to amount to anything. On this particular day, Daryl was 19 years old. He and his two brothers 
were in a kitchen while his mom and dad, who had just come back, were arguing in the living room. And on that day, the three boys decided that they would kill their father. Daryl got a baseball bat. His other brother, one of his brothers, got a knife, a butcher knife. And the other brother got a frying pan. And they went into the living room to kill their dad. Well, <clears throat> it was a good thing for them. Their mom talked them out of it. And their dad left in a hurry. But that didn't do anything for the emotional pain that was in Daryl's heart. Daryl went on to become a baseball player. He earned millions of dollars. But the pain didn't go away. He spent millions of dollars on drugs, alcohol, and women. After he got out of baseball, he got into trouble. He ended up serving 11 months in prison. He was broke, and his life was a total train wreck. Once he got out of prison, he met a woman that he fell in love with, and she fell in love with him. She was a Christian, and she led Daryl to the Lord, and Daryl became a Christian. God changed his heart. God changed his life. But God did not take the pain that his father had deposited in his heart out of his heart. Daryl and his wife had been married a while, and someone told Daryl that his dad was quite sick in the hospital. And the Lord spoke to Daryl. He didn't speak to him in an audible voice. He spoke into his mind, and he said this, I want you to go to the hospital and forgive your dad. Daryl said he wasn't too happy about that, but he knew that was the voice of God, and so he went to the hospital. As he looked down at his dad, sick and dying in that hospital bed, he said to him, Dad, I forgive you for all the things that you did to me. And Daryl said, I walked out of that hospital the freest man in the world because when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus had taken out of his heart all that emotional pain when he was willing to forgive his dad. Lee was 40 years old when he came to me. Lee told me I could share his story with you. This is what he told me. He said, at 14, I started using heroin. At 36, I switched to meth. In between, I was married and divorced twice, and now I'm living with a woman and I have a child. Lee was referred to me by an alcoholic friend who had come to see me, and Jesus had uh, given him freedom from his alcoholism. And I said to Lee, what are you doing here? And he said, I want to change my life, but I don't know how. I asked Lee about his drug use, and this is what he said. When I was 11 years old, my dad picked me up from school one day. On the way home, he told me, I'm leaving your mother. And he dropped me off at home, and I never saw him again. And I went ballistic inside, and that's when I started using heroin. It was obvious that Lee was not a Christian, so we opened the Bible began to look at what God's word said, that we're all born in sin. I didn't have to tell Lee that. He already knew it. But the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And we looked at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
When we were done to that, I talked to Lee about forgiving his dad. I just laid it aside. I said, we'll put that on hold for a minute. And I talked to him about what he had to do to forgive his dad. Talked to him about forgiving his ex-wives. Of course, they weren't the whole problem in the marriage. It always takes two, but he had some bitterness and anger in his heart. And when we got done with all of that, then we began to pray. And Lee prayed about his dad, and this is what he prayed. Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive my father for abandoning me at age 12, causing me to feel betrayed, lost, unloved, wounded, unable to talk. I am willing to pay for the emotional pain and consequences that my dad has caused me. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to take that bitterness out of my heart, turn that heart territory over to God. We prayed about his ex-wives. When we were done with that, I said, would you like to pray to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and be your savior? And he said, yes, I would. And so we prayed together. When we were all done, Lee looked at me and he said, it feels like a great weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I can hardly explain what it's like. And I said to Lee, the Holy Spirit has come to live within your heart. But I need to see you next week. I want to give you some tools to help you move forward in your spiritual life. Lee said, okay, but Lee didn't come back. He didn't come back for 40 days. 40 days later, he showed up outside my office door. He was looking in the window and he waved at me. And I said, Lee, come on in and tell me what's going on. And this is what he said. Since I left your office, I haven't done drugs. I went out to Arizona and I found my dad and I reconciled with him. Now, do you do marriages? You see, only Jesus Christ can change a person's heart like that. Only Jesus can set people free from pain that other people have put in their lives and they've carried for years and years and years. And that father wound can be cured by forgiving the father who hurt you. Finally, and lastly, Malachi says this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Has the Lord not made them one? He's talking here about a husband and a wife. In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he is seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. As husbands, our number one priority after our relationship with the Lord is our wives. The next priority after that is our children. God says, I am looking for godly offspring. Ephesians chapter 6, we read that. The end of verse 4 says, But bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Here are the statistics about children becoming Christians. If only the mother in the family is a Christian, there's a 17% chance that the children will become Christians. If only the father is a Christian, there is a 63% chance that the children will become Christians. If both parents are, are Christian, there is an 83% chance that the children will grow up to be Christians. 
That is not saying anything about fathers being better than mothers. It tells us that the Lord has laid a much bigger responsibility on the fathers to provide Christian spiritual leadership in the family. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I said earlier that as men we did not choose to be born men, but we made a choice to become a father. God has given us the responsibility of family spiritual leadership, whether we want it or not. You don't have to make the most money. You don't have to be the smartest person in the family. You don't have to know this or that. But it, you have to be the spiritual leader in the family. We can choose not to do it, and there will certainly be a price for our disobedience. Can we make our children become Christians? We certainly can't. However, our occupation of fathers includes the responsibilities of telling our children the message of the gospel, praying for them our whole lives, and modeling the gospel by living it out in front of them. We need to walk the talk. More things are caught by our children than are taught. You know, we can't fool our children. If we tell them we're Christians and mom and dad fight on the way to church, what does that tell them? They can see right through us. And if we tell them, you just do it because I told you to, that doesn't fly very well either, does it? We need to tell them, this is what God wants us to do as your dad, and this is what you should do. The Lord can use those things that we never even realize uh, if we are faithful to him. A few years back, my oldest son Dave and I took six men to a Promise Keepers meeting in Boulder, Colorado. We rented an RV. It was one of the greatest trips we ever had. We got out there, 60,000 men sitting in a football stadium. And what all you women know is this. Your husbands are just grown-up boys, right? That's what they are. They're grown-up boys. And so across the stadium, they start cheering in unison at us. They say, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? Well, so what do we have to do? We have to cheer back, right? We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? We love him more. Well, we finally settled down. The conference started. One of the speakers' names was John Maxwell. John is a well-known Christian speaker, and he talked about fathers demonstrating godly integrity in their families. And when he was done talking, there was a 15-minute break. Uh, we didn't go anywhere. We all had water and things, so we just waited for the next speaker to start. But my son Dave started talking to the six guys that we brought along, and this is what he told them. He said, my dad always used to take us to the races at States Park Speedway every Thursday night. We all had our favorite racer, and if you were under the age of 12, you could get in free. The first year that he turned 13, and that summer, we got into the parking lot, and he said to me, Dad, I'm small for my age. You can tell the guy I'm 12, and he won't question it. 
I can just still get in for free. And I said to him, Dave, you're 13. We're going to buy you a ticket this year. And we bought Dave a ticket as we walked through the gate. Then he looked at those men, and he said to those men, I never forgot that. I never forgot that. I want to put in a word here for grandfathers and grandmothers as well. Over, over 6.1 million children under the age of 15 in our country today are being raised by grandparents. I have three father titles, father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. Psalm 71, 17, and 18 says this to us. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Our responsibilities to pray and encourage our children don't end when they leave home. When those grandchildren and those greats come along, we just add them to our list. The Lord wants us to leave a godly legacy in his name. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. It's not wrong to want a nice house or a nice car or earn things. But don't store up those treasures. He said, store up treasures in heaven where wrath and moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. Send it on ahead, he said. Send it on ahead. My grandfather and my dad sent it on ahead. This is a picture of my grandparents with their 12 children. They actually had 13. One died as a baby. All 12 children, my grandma and grandpa, were strong believers in Jesus. One year, my grandpa gave a load of grain as his offering at church because he didn't have any money. Grandma and grandpa led all of their children to Jesus. All of them married. None of them divorced. All of them are now deceased. I am the third generation. I am the oldest. We have, uh, I have 53 first cousins on that side of the family. I am the third oldest and the oldest boy. And um, Grandma used to say to me, Dave, I think you should be a pastor. In fact, uh, when I was in high school, and, uh, people said to me, what are you going to be when you grow up? I said, I think I'm going to be a pastor. But then I fell in love. Love changed the direction of my life. And uh, I went into business. However, my grandmother never stopped praying for me to become a pastor. 41 years after she died, the Lord answered that prayer. He answered that prayer. And God called me into the ministry. You know, when we die, God doesn't say, well, Dave's gone. All these prayers we had in his drawer, we're going to just close that drawer. Oh, no. He's an eternal, everlasting, ever-living God. Those prayers stand before him. And I believe that there will be prayers in my life that will be answered by the Lord 
after I die. He is eternal and all-knowing. This is the legacy, part of the legacy that Carol and I want to leave. This is Carol and I with our grandchildren. They uh, have all accepted Jesus. All of these children in the picture have accepted Jesus as their Savior. Their parents have led them to Christ. I've had the honor of dedicating four of them. And this is part of the legacy that we want to leave. This is the fifth generation of Christians in the Mahler family. What a blessing the Lord has given us. He says in Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Maybe you come from a family that's not Christian and you're the first dad to draw a line in the sand and to say, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I commend you for that and I thank you for that. And you are beginning something that God can bless for generations on end. Maybe you are like me, having been led to Christ with a godly legacy and you are passing the baton on to the next generation. Let's make this Father's Day, Father's a day to rededicate our lives to the godly title and occupation of fathers that the Lord has given us. May the Lord bless and keep every dad out there today because dad, this is our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me as we close in prayer. Father, we come to you, gracious Father, eternal Father, everlasting Father. You are the perfect Father. You are the only perfect Father that has ever existed. But you have given to us earthly fathers, wives, and children, and families, Lord. You have given them into our care that we might protect and provide for them, that we might love them, that we might speak to them, Lord Jesus, of the atoning work that you've done on Calvary's cross that you have paid for their sins, that you have purchased for them eternal life, a life that will never end in the presence of the Father. We thank you, O Lord, for who you are and what you have done. We thank you today for fathers. In Jesus' name, amen.